Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading Kane, written by Jean Toomer in 1923. Jean Toomer was born as Nathan Pinchback Toomer on December 26, 1894 in Washington, D.C. to mixed-race parents. Nathan began to use the name Jean as his literary career began. Growing up, Toomer attended all-black and all-white schools and refused to associate himself with race. Rather, he classified himself as American. He attended many colleges and universities and studied various topics from science to history, but did not complete a degree program. In 1921, Toomer went to Sparta, Georgia to become a principal at a rural agricultural and industrial school for blacks. While in Georgia, he learned more about his father's ancestry in Hancock County and came to the realization that he was able to pass for white. These experiences led him to a closer association with his Negro identity and inspired his most famous work, Cain, which solidified his position in the Harlem Renaissance. In his later years, Toomer delved into the study of various spiritualities and religions, which his work reflected. In 1934, he joined the Religious Society of Friends and began his life as a Quaker. In 1950, he stopped writing for publication and wrote several autobiographies and a book of poetry entitled The Wayward and the Seeking. On March 30th, 1967, he died at age 72 from various health complications. Kane is a body of work known as a composite novel or short story cycle 
It gained this classification due to its series of vignettes ranging from narrative prose, poetry, and play-like passages of dialogue surrounding the experiences of Black Americans. It is divided into three sections. The first details the experiences of Black Americans in the Southern farmland. The second details the urban life for Black Americans in the North. The last is comprised of the prose, Cabness. The novel has been quoted as a mysterious brand of Southern psychological realism that has been matched only in the best work of William Faulkner. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Cotton Song Come, brother, come, let's lift it. Come now, Hewitt, roll away. Shackles fall upon the judgment day, but let's not wait for it. God's body's got a soul. Bodies like to roll the soul. Can't blame God if we don't roll. Come, brother, roll, roll. Cotton bales are the fleecy way. Weary sinners bare feet trod. Softly, softly to the throne of God. We ain't gonna wait till judgment day. Nasur, Nasur, hump. Ayo, ayo, roll away. We ain't gonna wait till judgment day. God's body's got a soul. Bodies like to roll the soul. Can't blame God if we don't roll. Come, brother, roll, roll. Karma. Wind is in the cane, come along. Cane leaves swaying, rusty with talk. Scratching choruses above the guinea squawk. Wind is in the cane, come along. Karma in overalls and strong as any man stands behind the old brown mule driving the wagon home. It bumps and groans and shakes as it crosses the railroad track. She riding it easy I leave the men around the stove to follow her with my eyes down the red dust road. Nigger woman driving a Georgia chariot down an old dust road. Dixie Pike is what they call it. Maybe she feels my gaze. Perhaps she expects it. Anyway, she turns. The sun, which has been slanting over her shoulder, shoots primitive rockets into her mangrove-gloomed yellow flower face. Hi, yip! God has left the Moses people for the nigger. Get up. Using reins to slap the mule, she disappears in a cloudy rumble at some indefinite point along the road. The sun is hammered to a band of gold. Pine needles, like Mazda, are brilliantly aglow. No rain has come to take the rustle from the falling sweet gum leaves. Over in the forest, across the swamp, a sawmill blows its closing whistle smoke curls up. Marvelous web spun by the spider sawdust pile. Curls up and spreads itself pine high above the branch, a single silver band along the eastern valley. A black boy. You're the most sleepiest man I ever seed, sleeping beauty. Cradled on a gray mule, guided by the hollow sound of cowbells, heads for them through a rusty cotton field. From down the railroad track, The chug-chug of a gas engine announces that the repair gang is coming home. 
A girl in the yard of a whitewashed shack, not much larger than the stack of worn ties piled before it, sings. Her voice is loud. Echoes, like rain, sweep the valley. Dusk takes the polish from the rails. Lights twinkle in scattered houses. From far away, a sad, strong song, pungent and composite, the smell of farmyards is the fragrance of the woman. She does not sing. Her body is a song. She's in the forest dancing. Torches flare. Juju men, gri-gri, witch doctors. Torches go out. The Dixie Pike has grown from a goat path in Africa. Night. Foxy, the bitch, slicks back her ears and barks at the rising moon. Wind is in the corn. Come along. Corn leaves swaying, rusty with talk, scratching choruses above the guinea squawk. Wind is in the corn. Come along. Karma's tale is the crudest melodrama. Her husband's in the gang, and it's her fault he got there. Working with a contractor, he was away most of the time. She had others. No one blames her for that. He returned one day and hung around the town where he picked up weak old boasts and rumors. Bane accused her. She denied. He couldn't see that she was becoming hysterical. He would have liked to take his fists and beat her, who was strong as a man. Stronger. Words, like corkscrews, wormed to her strength. It fizzled out. Grabbing a gun, she rushed from the house and plunged across the road into a cane break. There, in quarter heaven, shone the crescent moon. Bane was afraid to follow till he heard the gun go off. Then he wasted half an hour gathering the neighborhood men. They met in the road where lamplight showed tracks dissolving in the loose earth about the cane. The search began. Moths flickered the lamps. They put them out. Really, because she still might be live enough to shoot. Time and space had no meaning in a cane field. No more than the interminable stalks. Someone stumbled over her. A cry went up. From the road, one would have thought that they were cornering a rabbit or a skunk. It is difficult carrying dead weight through cane. They placed her on the sofa. A curious, nosy somebody looked for the wound. This fussing with her clothes aroused her. Her eyes were weak and pitiable for so strong a woman. Slowly, then like a flash, Bane came to know that the shot she fired with averted head was aimed to whistle like a dying hornet through the cane. Twice deceived, and one deception proved the other. His head went off, slashed one of the men who'd helped, the man who'd stumbled over her. Now, he's in the gang, who was her husband. Should she not take others, this karma, strong as a man, whose tale, as I have told it, is the crudest melodrama? Wind is in the cane. Come along. Cane leaves swaying, rusty with talk, scratching choruses above the guinea squawk. Wind is in the cane. Come along. Song of the Sun Poor, oh poor, that parting soul in song. Oh, pour it in the sawdust glow of night. Into the velvet pine smoke air tonight. And let the valley carry it along. And let the valley carry it along. 
Oh, land and soil, red soil and sweet gum tree, so scant of grass, so profligate of pines. Now, just before an epic sun declines, thy son in time I have returned to thee. Thy son I have in time returned to thee. In time, for though the sun is setting on, a song-lit race of slaves it has not set. Though late, O soil, it is not too late yet to catch thy plaintive soul, leaving soon gone. Leaving to catch thy plaintive soul, soon gone. O Negro slaves, dark purple ripened plums, squeezed and bursting in the pinewood air, passing before they stripped the old tree bare. One plum was saved for me. One seed becomes an everlasting song, a singing tree, caroling softly souls of slavery, what they were and what they are to me, caroling softly souls of slavery. Georgia Dusk The sky, lazily disdaining to pursue The setting sun, too indolent to hold A lengthened tournament for flashing gold Passively darkens for night's barbecue A feast of moon and men and barking hounds An orgy for some genius of the South With blood-hot eyes and cane-lip-scented mouth Surprised in making folk songs from soul sounds. The sawmill blows its whistle. Buzz saws stop. And silence breaks the bud of knoll and hill. Soft settling pollen where plowed lands fulfill their early promise of a bumper crop. Smoke from the pyramidal sawdust pile curls up blue ghosts of trees tarrying low. Where only chips and stumps are left to show the solid proof of former domicile. Meanwhile, the men, with vestiges of pomp, race memories of king and caravan. High priests, an ostrich, and a juju man go singing through the footpaths of the swamp. Their voices rise, the pine trees are guitars, strumming, pine needles fall like sheets of rain. Their voices rise, the chorus of the cane, is caroling a vesper to the stars. O singers, resinous and softer songs, above the sacred whisper of the pines, give virgin lips to cornfield concubines, bring dreams of Christ to dusky cane-lipped throngs. Fern, face flowed into her eyes flowed in soft cream foam and plaintive ripples in such a way that wherever your glance may momentarily have rested, it immediately thereafter wavered in the direction of her eyes. The soft suggestion of down slightly darkened like the shadow of a bird's wing might, the creamy brown color of her upper lip. Why, after noticing it, you sought her eyes, I cannot tell you. Her nose was aquiline, Semitic, if you've ever heard a Jewish cantor sing, if he has touched you and made your own sorrows seem trivial when compared with his, you will know my feeling when I follow the curves of her profile like mobile rivers to their common delta. They were strange eyes in this that they sought nothing that is, 
nothing that was obvious and tangible and that one could see, and they gave the impression that nothing was to be denied. When a woman seeks, you will have observed her eyes deny. Fern's eyes desired nothing that you could give her. There was no reason why they should withhold. Men saw her eyes and fooled themselves. Fern's eyes said to them that she was easy. When she was young, a few men took her but got no joy from it. And then, once done, they felt bound to her, quite unlike their hit and run with other girls. Felt as though it would take them a lifetime to fulfill an obligation which they could find no name for. They became attached to her and hungered after finding the barest trace of what she might desire. As she grew up, new men who came to town felt as almost everyone did who ever saw her, that they would not be denied. Men were everlastingly bringing her their bodies. Something inside of her got tired of them, I guess, for I am certain that for the life of her, she could not tell why or how she began to turn them off. A man in fever is no trifling thing to send away. They began to leave her, baffled and ashamed, yet vowing to themselves that someday they would do some fine thing for her, send her candy every week and not let her know who it came from, watch out for her wedding day and give her a magnificent something with no name on it, buy a house and deed it to her, rescue her from some unworthy fellow who had tricked her into marrying him. As you know, men are apt to idolize or fear that which they cannot understand, especially if it be a woman. She did not deny them, yet the fact was that they were denied. A sort of superstition crept into their consciousness of her being somehow above them. Being above them meant that she was not to be approached by anyone. She became a virgin. Now, a virgin in a small southern town is by no means the usual thing, if you will believe me. That the sexes were made to mate is the practice of the South. Particularly, black folks were made to mate, and it is black folks whom I've been talking about thus far. What white men thought of Fern, I can only arrive at by analogy. They let her alone. Anyone, of course, could see her, could see her eyes. If you walked up the Dixie Pike most any time of day, you'd be most likely to see her resting listless-like on the rail of her porch, back propped up against the post, head tilted a little forward because there was a nail in the porch post just where her head came, which for some reason or other, she never took the trouble to pull out. Her eyes, if it were sunset, rested idly where the sun, molten and glorious, was pouring down between the fringe of pines. Or maybe they gazed at the gray cabin on the knoll from which an evening folk song was coming. Perhaps they followed a cow that had been turned loose to roam and feed on cotton stalks and corn leaves. Like as not, they'd settled on some vague spot above the horizon, though hardly a trace of wistfulness could come to them. If it were dusk, then they'd wait for the searchlight of the evening train which you could see miles up the track before it flared across the Dixie Pike close to her home. Wherever they looked, you'd follow them and then wave her back. Like her face, the whole countryside seemed to flow into her eyes, flowed into them with the soft, listless cadence of Georgia's South. 
A young Negro once was looking at her spellbound from the road. A white man passing in a buggy had to flick him with his whip if he was to get by without running him over. I first saw her on the porch. I was passing with a fellow whose crusty numbness, I was from the north and suspected of being prejudiced and stuck up, was melting as he found me warm. I asked him who she was. That's Fern, was all that I could get from him. Some folks already thought that I was given to nosing around. I let it go at that, so far as questions were concerned. But at first sight of her, I felt as if I heard a Jewish cantor sing, as if his singing rose above the unheard chorus of a folk song, and I felt bound to her. I too had my dreams, something I would do for her. I have knocked about from town to town too much not to know the futility of mere change of place. Besides, picture if you can, this cream-colored solitary girl sitting at a tenement window looking down on the indifferent throngs of Harlem. Better that she listened to folk songs at dusk in Georgia, you would say, and so would I. Or suppose she came up north and married. Even a doctor or lawyer, say, one who would be sure to get along, that is, make money. You and I know, who have had experience in such things, that love is not a thing like prejudice which can be bettered by changes of town. Could men in Washington, Chicago, or New York, more than the men of Georgia, bring her something left vacant by the bestowal of their bodies? You and I who know men in these cities will have to say they could not. See her out and out, a prostitute along State Street in Chicago. See her move into a southern town where white men are more aggressive. See her becoming a white man's concubine, something I must do for her. There was myself. What could I do for her? Talk, of course. Push back the fringe of pines upon new horizons. To what purpose and what for? Her? Myself? Men in her case seemed to lose their selfishness. I lost mine before I touched her. I ask you, friend, it makes no difference if you sit in the Pullman or the Jim Crow as the train crosses her road. What thoughts would come to you, that is, after you've finished with the thoughts that leap into men's mind at the sight of a pretty woman who will not deny them? What thoughts would come to you had you seen her in a quick flash, keen and intuitively, as she sat there on her porch when your train thundered by? Would you have gotten off at the next station and come back for her to take her where? Would you have completely forgotten her as soon as you reached Macon, Atlanta, Augusta, Pasadena, Madison, Chicago, Boston, or New Orleans? Would you tell your wife or sweetheart about a girl you saw? Your thoughts can help me, and I would like to know. Something I would do for her. One evening, I walked up the pike on purpose and stopped to say hello. Some of her family were about, but they moved away to make room for me. Damn, if I knew how to begin. Would you? Mr. and Miss So-and-so, people... The weather, the crops, the new preacher, the frolic, the church benefit, rabbit and possum hunting, the new soft drink they had at Old Pap's store, the schedule of the trains, what kind of town Macon was, 
Negroes' migration north, bull weevils, syrup, the Bible. To all these things, she gave a yes, sir, or no, sir, without further comment. I began to wonder if perhaps my own emotional sensibility had played one of its tricks on me. Let's take a walk, I at last ventured. The suggestion coming after so long in isolation was novel enough, I guess, to surprise. But it wasn't that. Something told me that men before had just said that as a prelude to the offering of their bodies. I tried to tell her with my eyes. I think she understood. The thing from her that made my throat catch vanished. Its passing left her visible in a way I'd thought but never seen. We walked down the pike with people on all the porches gaping at us. Doesn't it make you mad? She meant the row of petty gossiping people. She meant the world. Through a cane break that was ripe for cutting, the branch was reached. Under a sweet gum tree and where reddish leaves had dammed the creek a little, we sat down. Dusk, suggesting the almost imperceptible procession of giant trees, settled with a purple haze about the cane. I felt strange, as I always do in Georgia, particularly at dusk. I felt that things unseen to men were tangibly immediate. It would not have surprised me had I had vision. People have them in Georgia more often than you would suppose. A black woman once saw the mother of Christ and drew her in charcoal on the courthouse's wall. When one is on the soil of one's ancestors, most anything can come to one. From force of habit, I suppose. I held Fern in my arms, that is, without at first noticing it. Then my mind came back to her. Her eyes, unusually weird and open, held me, held God. He flowed in as I've seen the countryside flow in, seen men. I must have done something, what I don't know, in the confusion of my emotion. She sprang up, rushed some distance from me, fell to her knees and began swaying, swaying. Her body was tortured with something it could not let out. Like boiling sap, it flooded arms and fingers till she shook them as if they burned her. It found her throat and spattered inarticulately in plaintive, convulsive sounds mingled with calls to Christ Jesus. And then she sang brokenly. A Jewish cantor singing with a broken voice. A child's voice, uncertain, or an old man's. Dusk hid her. I could hear only her song. It seemed to me as though she were pounding her head in anguish upon the ground. I rushed to her. She fainted in my arms. There was talk about her fainting with me in the cane field, and I got one or two ugly looks from town men who'd set themselves up to protect her. In fact, there was talk of making me leave town, but they never did. They kept a watch out for me, though. Shortly after I came back north... From the train window, I saw her as I crossed her road. Saw her on her porch, head tilted a little forward where the nail was. Eyes vaguely focused on the sunset. Saw her face flow into them, the countryside, and something that I call God flowing into them. Nothing ever really happened. Nothing ever came to Fern, not even I. Something I would do for her, 
some fine unnamed thing. And friend, you? She is still living. I have reason to know. Her name against the chance that you might happen down that way is Fernie May Rosen. Are you still up? Girl, good night. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.